Drinking from a Fire Hose, my weekly market review, October 30th, 2022. There was such a torrent of market intel to try and absorb last week that it was hard to keep up at times. It also meant that leads got buried all over the place as news and data points that would usually be the focus of market attention for a matter of days were eclipsed within hours or even minutes by yet another surprising earnings report, economic data release, geopolitical development, global interest rate change, or piece of eye-popping housing market data. So let's try to quickly run through it all. The final outcome was a sharply bifurcated market performance. In the very red corner were technology and communication services stocks, a few of whom had a rather catastrophic week. In the nicely green corner was pretty much everything else, which mostly moved agreeably higher over the course of the week. There continues to be a fundamental repricing of the stocks of many technology-related firms, which seem to be highly vulnerable to continued declines still, while the more traditional parts of the economy, whose stocks trade at broadly lower valuations, are proving extremely resilient since the headline indexes started their latest bounce a couple of weeks ago. The announcement on Wednesday of underwhelming earnings and forward guidance pushed Alphabet, Google and Microsoft down intraday by 9.1% and 7.7% respectively. Then Meta Facebook saw a quarter of its value disappear in a puff of smoke in after hours trading following a truly hideous set of earnings and outlook with the stock price falling to levels not seen since October 2015. The company's recent metaverse pivot and massive hiring spree is proving to be an absolute disaster and is being openly said by smarter people than me that the firm appears to be basically imploding right now. It doesn't even make the list of the top 20 most valuable U.S. companies anymore. A major investor last week wrote a scathing open letter to CEO Mark, net worth a year ago over 140 billion, net worth now less than 38 billion, Zuckerberg, reflecting the concerns and suggestions of many embattled shareholders. Amazon stock also crapped out briefly falling back to below its pre-pandemic levels, despite online sales having doubled since then, after issuing some rather ugly forward guidance. Apple's results stood apart from the pack by being just kind of okay. The company beat expectations on the top and bottom lines, but reported weaker than expected iPhone sales. Earlier in the week, the first of three estimates of Q3 US gross domestic product, GDP, indicated that the economy had expanded at a sizzling 2.6% annual rate, ending the streak of two back-to-back quarterly contractions. This was well ahead of estimates. The American consumer is just unstoppable. Personal consumption expenditures, which account for the biggest part of the economy, continue to power ahead rising 1.4% in the third quarter. GDP was also lifted by exports, financial services, and government spending, mainly as a result of defense spending and higher wages. 
Markets also spent much of the week digesting the conclusion of the National People's Congress in China, which secured President Xi as a third term as party leader and effectively made him a dictator for life. This dented emerging market returns. A powerful Xi likely means continued tech theft from the West, focus on domestic shared prosperity, as they call it, which may be a noble social goal, but is not usually great for earnings, a continuation of the zero COVID policy that has crippled China's economic growth and contributed to the continued snarling of supply chains, continued geopolitical tensions with the West based on intellectual property and military movements, particularly in regards to Taiwan. Market anxiety around the recent UK fiscal debacle seemed to recede once it emerged that there were finally something resembling grown-ups in the room who are starting to clean up the mess in the living room now that the kids' wild and crazy party is over. Markets also heaved a huge sigh of relief that Boris is now safely back in the bin. The whole bonkers episode was an unnecessary short-term negative influence, but it didn't change the core underlying drivers of this bear market. While the UK may finally be putting the last few years of reckless populist nonsense into its rearview mirror, Italy now appears to be taking centre stage. In one of her first pronouncements after taking office, the new Italian Prime Minister, Giorgia Meloni, openly questioned the European Central Bank, ECB's, decision to raise interest rates to counter rampant European inflation, including Italy's own 12% rate. The ECB declined to take any notice of her advice, however, raising interest rates by three quarters of a percent for the second time in a row on Thursday. The situation in Ukraine continues to deteriorate. The recent decline in most commodity prices has been mistaken as being associated with some kind of easing of tensions in the war. It's absolutely not. Contrary to conventional wisdom or what you might hear from the clowns on FinTok, it's perfectly possible for the situation in Ukraine to continue to worsen and commodity prices to keep falling. They are falling not because of the Ukraine conflict, but because of the prospect of a global demand slowdown due to a possible worldwide recession. Last week, the Bank of Canada followed its Australian counterpart, unexpectedly slowing its pace of interest rate hikes to just half a percent, compared with the consensus expectation of a three quarters of a percent rise. It should be remembered, though, that central banks simply moving rates higher by a bit less than expected does not constitute the holy grail of the pivot the definition of which is when central bank clearly signals that interest rate increases will end at a specific date. We're not there yet by any means. So an over-optimistic reaction to these lighter-than-expected hikes would be ill-advised. Housing prices make up nearly 40% of the calculation of the monthly retail consumer price index, CPI, measure of inflation. And while inflation pressures are well distributed through the economy, the biggest reason that CPI has not been meaningfully declining is because of recent buoyant home and rent prices. On Tuesday, however, we learned that while housing prices are still up substantially on a year-over-year basis, 13%, that rate of increase is falling. The previous month 
they were up by 15.6% annualized at the fastest pace since the index was created in 1987. National home prices fell almost 1% in the last 30 days alone, double the rate of the decline from the previous month. Then later in the week, we were told that new home sales fell nearly 11% from August to September, and are down almost 18% year on year, and that the average 30-year mortgage interest rate had moved above 7%, more than double where it was a year ago. Indeed, this is the highest mortgage interest rate since Avril Levine asked us all why we had to go and make things so complicated in 2002. This was all broadly viewed as positive for stocks over the longer term because these price declines and reduced demand will eventually begin to be reflected in CPI readings in the coming months and slowing inflation would signal to the Federal Reserve that its rate hike policy is working. This could prompt the central bank to back down on additional aggressive rate hikes, thereby boosting investor sentiment and the outlook for the stock market.